Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Your home for Irish folklore, mythology and all things storytelling. Hello everyone, you are almost assuredly welcome to episode 68 of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. I am, of course, uh, Paul D. Holly, and I am joined by the uh, splendiferous Mr. Uh, Nisha Odin. How are you today, Nisha? I'm grand. Keeping on. Keeping on. Grand, soft day, as we'd say. Tell me, Nisha, uh, do you enjoy DIY? I really don't. Okay. Really don't. My, much to my father's chagrin, because I'm not. He was. He's amazing at it himself. There was nothing in the house that he didn't do when I was growing up. And I think he's always just been slightly disappointed that I'm about as useful at household tasks as the Pope is. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Francis was a, a bouncer at one stage, so maybe he knows how to... The Pope uh, will always be ratsinger for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even now he's dead. Especially now he's dead. That means it can be sanctified. Uh, uh, <laughs> But the the um, I suppose my dad was the same. Yeah. They, you know, they they put me through the woodworking classes and and everything, yeah. uh, in the hope that you know someday I'd be able to build my own furniture. But uh, none of it, uh, none of it stuck. I much prefer the life of the mind and uh, the stuff. Even the stuff from the IKEA catalogue just seems to be designed to break up. Oh, that's uh, far too much effort. Yeah. Nicely pre-packaged, pre-made, preferably brought in by strong men. Yeah. Or women. Strong yeah. men or women. I don't care who's stringing it in as long as they're strong and it's not me. Yeah, you know, reused. There's some beautiful furniture in the in the charity shops yeah. around us, around uh, Kimmage and, and everything. Beautifully handmade. But do, do you... Is See, that's a, it, Paulie. We're not... We are just trying to reduce, reuse and recycle. It's not that yeah. we're bad at DIY. We just care about this planet. Yes, I think so. <laughs> I think that must be it. Is there anything, though, that you, you have made that makes you think, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I did that? Now, that definitely... I think more on the arts and crafts side of things, I've always right. liked the idea of, like, say, making my own birthday cards rather than giving more money to Hallmark. Right. Or, making, or especially when I was younger, making gifts for my friends and family rather than going out to buy them because i think there's something there is something nice about that feeling of may having made something with your hands yes yes i I think we i think in second year of school we we made a clock and it's still on the on the mantelpiece back home in kerry and you know i am i am a little bit proud every time i see it even though it's a terrible clock um (laughs) But yeah, and later on, of course, you know, when you finish your 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 undergraduate or your mm. your masters, you think to yourself, "Oh, I did that. Yeah, I made this thing." It's nice yeah. to know after many years of academia that there's something physical in the world yeah. that I've done. It's printed on uh, <laughs> paper. No one will read it, but God, yeah, uh, I made this. <laughs> and uh, today, uh, our fearless leader Marco Giron is is bringing us a. Uh, uh, a story about possibly the most famous craftsman in Irish history. Yes, indeed. On Gabon Sore. Mm. Uh, for those of you who are a little bit um, pedantic like me, um, it's, yeah, pedantry might be the word. Uh, Gabon is from the Irish for smith. 
mm-hmm. because he's related to Gubnu, yeah. uh, brother of. Um, well, he's descended. The the name is descended from Gubnu, the brother of Kian from the story. And, yeah, uh, oh yeah, yeah. The word in a lot of languages uh, is just Smith, mm-hmm. and and Sayer Sayer is free, obviously. So mm-hmm. Gubon Sayer is just he's a free Smith. Yeah. Yeah, so just it did, the name is just trying to indicate that he is, um, that he is not a slave and that he's a free and highly respected mm-hmm. artisan and craftsman. Yeah. And craftsman would have been so respected in a, in old Ireland. Oh, definitely, yeah, they were, yeah, they they at the yeah. people of skill. Mm. So they were one of the people who would have been able to actually travel around the place rather than being really really heavily restricted to your own territory, like people were yeah. for the common people anyway. And he, because he built so many um, churches, he's yeah. often confused with Saint uh, Gobon, yeah, who uh, I believe was martyred on the continent at some stage. Ah, well for him, yeah. You know, if, if, you're, going, if you're going to get martyred, you may as well get martyred on the continent. That's yeah, what I say. you know, if you don't want to be martyred in Carrigan if you're going to have your head chopped off in an oratory, <laughs> it might as well be in the south of France. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the uh, the smith work the smithy obviously very important in ireland mm. fairies obsessed uh, with metal mm. have you ever seen a, a smith carry out their work i have down in the uh, history i can never remember the proper name the heritage park down in wexford lovely they used they used to do annual events with, around heritage week in august and i remember one of the years they had a temporary k- uh, forge set up and they didn't do anything special they were just making arrowheads right. I'd actually demanded that my father build us a forge down on our land in Wicklow which is 20 years and counting still not there I think he probably took uh, one look at your build and was like I don't think he's going to be a smith anymore. I was soon. a strapping young boy back then <laughs> at twice the width of any of my classmates anyway and besides that he called me Gufnu I mean, I am named after the smith. I may as well have been given a forge. I might have been actually somewhat practical if he built it. Mm-hmm. I blame him. It's <laughs> perfectly honest. That's, that's what's wrong with our generation. If there's our something, fathers. If there's, there's something wrong with us, we blame our parents. <laughs> and so, uh, without any uh, further ado, the scene firmly set by uh, Nisha's... <laughs> And his father's disagreements about smithing. <laughs> Here is our fearless leader, Marco Giron, uh, with the lovely Gobon Sayer. There may never be a greater craftsman in Ireland than the Gobon Sayer. It was said that he could fashion a spear in the time it took a man to draw a breath. That he could forge a spearhead or a sword with three strikes of his hammer. And that the buildings he constructed? They were unrivalled. For he had built castles for all five kings of Ireland. All the lords and the leaders wanted their structures built by him. They could stand in defence against any enemy, but also beautiful. Well, with all of this, it was no surprise that his reputation had spread beyond these shores. And the King of England heard, 
and he knew that he wanted his castle built by the Gobon Sair, that it would stand as the most impressive and the largest, the most intimidating structure in all the lands. But before he sent word for the Gobon Sair, he really had to think about it. Because he knew that once the Gobon Sair had completed his castle, sure he'd just go off and build something bigger and more impressive for someone else. And the king couldn't have that. No, he knew that once the job was completed, the Gobon Sair would have to be killed. So with his plan made, he sent for the Gobon Sair. Well, as soon as word reached the Gobon Sair, he packed up his cart straight away. All of his tools, and he set off with just his cart, his horse, his tools, and his son, his young apprentice. While on the road, he turned to his son and he said, Shorten the road for me, my boy. And his son, knowing his father, knew exactly what this meant. And the son started to tell him great stories and legends of Ireland to make the time pass just a little bit quicker. As they travelled, they grew tired and weary. And as it getting dark, they looked for lodgings and they saw the home of a pleasant family. When they approached, they were greeted by a man who explained that he lived with his wife and his two daughters. But he was more than happy to offer lodgings to these men. Once he welcomed them into their home, they met his wife and the two daughters. And the two daughters were roughly the same age as the Gubon Sayre's son. But these two young women couldn't be any more different. For one had hair as dark as raven's feathers. But she was a blur. She was rushing around and working so hard she barely had time to say hello at all. Whereas the second daughter, her hair was so fair, like spun gold. And she was just sat in a chair admiring herself in a mirror, looking as if she had never done a day's work in her life. The Gobonsay remarked to his son that maybe one of these two fine young women would make a good wife for him one day. So after a good night's sleep the next morning, the Gobonsay sat down to breakfast in the company of the two young ladies and his son. The Gobonsay addressed the two young women and offered them some advice that one day they might find husbands for themselves. And he told them that they would need three things for a good life. The first was that they should keep the head of an old woman by the range. The second was that every morning they should keep themselves warm for work. And the third piece of advice was that they should be able to go to market with the skin of a sheep, come back with the price of that skin, but also still have the sheep skin. After breakfast was finished, the Gobonsair and his son went and found the man of the house and his wife and thanked them for their hospitality. And they set off again on their journey. Along the road, they found plenty of opportunities to help people along the way. One man they came across was trying to roof a circular structure and all he had was three long lengths of timber, none of them long enough to go from one side to the other of the structure. So the Gubonsair solved the problem for him. He carved notches into the ends of each of the pieces of wood and then, putting them on top of the structure, leaned them in until they met in the middle, forming a triangle. Well, from that point, it was very easy for the man to finish the job, so he thanked the Gubonsair and his son. The next people he met were some men trying to cross a river 
but they couldn't build a bridge, for they had no nails and they had no pegs. The Gubon Sayer and his son showed them how to use logs and planks, overlaying them that so that the more weight that was applied to them, the stronger and more secure the structure became, and soon it was very simple to cross the river. It really didn't take long for these stories to spread throughout the areas and spread across England as they travelled. When they finally arrived and were greeted by the king, the king had already heard these stories and the reputation had grown. The king thanked the men for coming. He told them that whatever they needed would be at their disposal, all of the materials and the tools, though he could see that they were well equipped themselves. And straight away the Gubonser and his son got to work. Within a few days it seemed as if this castle was growing out of the ground, rising higher and higher. Their work had started to draw a crowd. People were literally taking the day from sunrise to sunset to sit and watch the men, bringing packed lunches, admiring the men as they worked. Well, it wasn't too long until the castle was almost complete, and it was while taking a break that the Gubon Ser and his son were approached by a young lady. She was born of Ireland, but she had come to England for love. She told him that her loyalty had remained with her homeland, so she felt the need to warn them. She'd heard rumours of the king's plan to kill the Gubonser once the work was completed. The Gubonser thanked her. When the Gubonser finished his break, he went to see the king. He explained to the king that he had a ritual for all of his bills, that he would use a final charmed tool to finish the job but he'd left it back at his home in Ireland. He explained that this tool was the secret to the longevity of his bills. He told the king that he wished to send his son back to Ireland to fetch the tool but to this the king responded no. He would much rather that the two men continue to work he would send one of his people back to Ireland to the wife of the Gubonser to fetch the tool. The Gubonser explained that there was no way his wife would hand over such a valuable tool to a stranger. No, he said that maybe if the king was to send someone important back, someone of royal, royal blood maybe, then the wife would be happy to help. So the king agreed to send his own son. As the son got ready to leave, a Gubonser had very particular instructions for him. He told him that when he greeted his wife, to say to her, Coronayam on calm, an Irish phrase. When the prince arrived at the home of the Gobonser and met the wife and spoke the phrase, she recognised it immediately as one of her husband's riddles and she took the instruction. She made sure that the prince had the most enjoyable stay. He was fed the finest food, given the most comfortable bed and, and sourced the most incredible entertainment so that he wouldn't want to leave. And when the time came that he did want to leave, the Gubonser's wife and all the local people made it very clear that he should stay, that he should wait until Angubonser and his son were returned. When the king heard what had happened, he was furious. He knew his son had to be returned safely for him, so he agreed to release Angubonser and his son. They finished their job, they packed up their belongings, and they started to make their way home, leaving behind them a very frustrated king, but an immaculate and incredibly well-built castle. On the way home, they decided to stop off at the home where they had been given shelter. 
to see again the man, his wife and the two daughters. When he was welcomed into the house, he took a seat by the fire and he spoke to the fair-haired daughter first and he inquired as to how she had gotten on with the tasks. Well, she said, I didn't get on well at all. I went to the graveyard and I found the grave of an old woman and I dug her up and I cut off her head and I hung it by the rage, but no one would sit with me. Everyone just ran away. The gobonsair, unfazed, just nodded and said, well, that makes total sense. She said, on the second task, about staying warm at the start of a day of work, she says, I was spinning yarn and I moved so close to the fire that my clothes caught fire and the yarn caught fire and everything was destroyed. And Gobonsair said, that does sound awful and not ideal at all. And she said, finally, on the last task, she said, I went to market with a sheepskin and I asked everyone and people just laughed at me and thought it was ridiculous that I would want to get the money for the sheepskin but also keep the sheepskin. I was a laughing stock. It was only that one man approached me and offered to help and he said that he would be able to help me out if I came back and had a few drinks with him and that just didn't feel right so I said no. That was probably very wise of you said the gobonsair. I wonder if your sister fared any better. So he went looking for the sister. He found her in a back room, sitting by an open fire, but she wasn't alone. Beside her, she had an elderly woman. When the gobonsair inquired as to who the woman was, the dark-haired daughter explained that she was a, a distant relative, that she had fallen on hard times, and that she had taken her in, kept her warm, put her in the best seat in the house, and she'd learned so much from her. She explained that she was so wise, and that the two had become good friends. She explained that the second task almost didn't feel like a task at all. She says, from the moment my feet hit the ground in the morning, she says, I'm working so hard that I, I don't really have time to get cold. So that task was easy. She said, it was the third task that she really struggled with and she wasn't sure that she'd gotten it right. She'd taken the sheepskin down to the market, but she'd stretched out so much and she'd removed all of the wool that she sold the wool for the price and she brought the skin home and had tanned it. Well, said the Gobonsair, you've managed to complete all three tasks. He knew that this young woman would make the perfect wife for his son. So he went and spoke to her parents. When he explained his wishes, the parents were delighted. They agreed that they were a perfect match. So the Gobonsair sent word to his wife. She was to bring the family and the friends all across, and of course, the English prince too. Well, the wedding was incredible. They had an absolute blast, and the English prince continued to have a great time. So much so, that when he eventually returned to his father, he explained how kind and generous the people were. And he marvelled at his father's new home. And the king was happy with that. And the Gobonsair? Well... He returned home to Ireland, lived out his days. His son became a, an incredible builder and craftsman. And people today say that Angobonsair is buried next to Dernaflan Church in County Tipperary. That was lovely.
It was indeed, it was, yeah. All throughout, though, I was really reminded of just every single Irish person during the 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> Head over to England, get a good job, watch out for those crafty Brits. Yeah, or, or even in uh, working on the buildings. In, yeah, your grandfather worked on the buildings in the 30s. <laughs> yeah, only because there were, everyone else was off fighting. <laughs> Oh, and that at that uh, Dubliner song, McAlpine's Fusiliers. Oh yeah, yeah. About yeah. the about the Irish working working in England. Apparently, um, it's a long tradition. It would seem. Yeah, uh, we enjoy building things according to our myths and legends. Mm-hmm. The two things that we seem to enjoy doing the most is building and uh, performing. So. And even better these days when they do performative building. Because oh, you never wow. see the cranes and the scaffolding go up quite as much as around election time. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, where is it? Uh, is it St. Paul's Cathedral in mm. London? Where Christopher Wren, they looked at the design and says that's too Catholic. And he was, uh, he was like, okay, I'll change it. And he presented something more gothic and they agreed to it. And then he proceeded to build his first design behind the scaffolding yeah, anyway. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I liked it. I, I liked that story. I always like those little myths and tricks with it, with the building stuff. Like I know there's that classic, uh, I think it's, I think it's originally Arthurian where they have, where they're trying to sacrifice the boy into the pit to make sure the castle will stay standing. Right. And that's and then they find out that at the bottom of the pit there's the two dragons fighting, the white and the red, which is obviously symbolic for nothing. No, no. But uh, <laughs> uh there's also the one of Saint uh Column Kill over in Iona that they had to didn't they have to sacrifice one of the brothers and get put his blood into the into this concrete to make the abbey stand in one of the stages oh there's plenty of stories like that yeah Um, i think sometimes those are related to those monasteries where they use the bodies Mm. the the bones from them to decorate them you know the ones in paris and rome Mm. where everything is decorated in the bodies of the of the former monks yeah like they make chandeliers out of shoulder blades and that kind of thing yeah yeah um but yeah, the the Irish definitely working with our with our hands for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and interesting notes about architecture from the seventh century, I believe, is the Gobans here would have been yeah yeah because he's meant because in even though he definitely didn't in the tradition he's meant to be responsible for creating ninety percent of the round towers that we get in many of the monasteries. Okay, right. And uh, like half of them seem to be the Gobansor and the other half seem to be on Kailach. Right. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> it's either a master craftsman or, or a, a witch. witch. <laughs> <laughs> That's such an Irish pub answer. Who built the tower out there? I don't know, either a, a craftsman or a witch. <laughs> but uh, I think they were meant to be around the 7th century anyway, so that would yeah. make sense. Yeah, and I, there's, there's, you said that it reminded you of the Irish going over in the 80s, but there is definitely a sense in the story that uh, the Irish Goban Sayers invited to England yeah. because he is a better builder than the English. Imagine us trying to imply that. 
It's as almost as if we're not actually a humble people. Uh, well, <laughs> they got their own back. They said for centuries we couldn't build nothing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so they did get their own back. See, that's what I think it's all a conspiracy. This is just the nice <laughs> fairy tale version of the events. What actually happened is King of England stole the Gobon Sewer, and that's why we don't have an architectural style in Ireland. Uh-huh. He's gone. It's yeah, it'd be like someone sneaking into to Barcelona and stealing uh, Gaudi or something. And you, so all of a sudden you don't have a, an architectural style. Yeah, just steal Leonardo da Vinci and keep him trapped in the bottom of the British Museum. But that's, that's interesting, because normally when we read the story of the Govancer, we think, ah, yeah, well, he can't be responsible for it all. Yeah. But then you go to Barcelona and you realise that Gaudi is responsible for a whole style of architecture yeah. and a whole style of building like there's this wonderful i think i think it was bbc series uh, do you know pillars of the earth i do yeah yeah, yeah so I, that, I i haven't read the books myself but uh, the tv series with eddie redmayne was very very and ian yeah. chain amazing actor but like you, you see in that, like all the process that goes into not just the actual physical building of the cathedral, the yeah. designing. So even if he wasn't physically out there going around building, theoretically, he could have been making all the plans and passing it down to his subordinates. Theoretically, again. So, yeah. <laughs> We're not here. We're not Gobonsor truthers. We're saying it's possible. <laughs> it's more possible that the Gobonsor created all buildings in Ireland pre eighth century than it is that the pyramids were created by aliens. That's that, all I'm saying. That's that's very that's very true. That's very true. Uh, well, considering the amount of things that are just made without mortar as well, yeah. that it is very interesting. You know the the walls, the walls that are built by just finding the exact stone to fit in. Yeah. That is a u- pretty unique architectural style in itself. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Like you just you just see the how intricate and how painstaking it would have been to construct them. Yeah. And yet they like I think they always like again Ireland doesn't have an architecture style. But they used to comment on how even the the small little huts that they blended so into the natural environment. They were like yeah. little rising hillocks in the landscape. Yeah, the beehives, yeah. 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 Is he actually is Gilbonsor connected to Skellig by any I'm chance? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, that, anyway. that's something I'd have to look up after well, this actually. Well most of the uh storytellers seem to be obsessed with the idea that the beehive huts come from Egypt. Oh yeah, that there's some sort of Coptic connection to the architectural yeah. style. That it's uh, Coptic uh, Christianity that first comes to Ireland. But I, I'll uh, take it. I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there is obviously in our folk tales um, a lot of the very first people in Ireland, or in our myths and legends, should I say, a lot of the very first people in Ireland come from uh, Greece and Egypt and the Middle East and, and Scythia. And see, yeah, which is placed in modern day Ukraine. But I also do like that well, kind of the mid and the end section there. That's got that's the classic fairy tale conundrum, isn't it? Yeah. Three tasks, marry for marriage. I like, oddly, that it's two women competing to marry the boy. Yes, yes. Though, it, like, and Mark makes the son re- quite pl- nice and pleasant. Yeah, those are the versions of this one that I know he's absolutely useless. And right. poor Golden Sore is desperate to find somebody capable of taking care of her, his hat in Brazil's son. 
Well, that's that's often the case, isn't it? We've found it in Ireland for for a very long time. It it, mm-hmm. I, it sounds like it happened to me and you as well, <laughs> where uh, the father is a very fine uh, craftsman uh, uh-huh. and makes a success of himself, uh, and then his son is uh, a layabout yeah. uh, who's interested in the life of the mind <laughs> and uh, and reading rather than making things with his with his hands. Seamus Heaney obviously has that uh, marvellous poem. Mm. Is it Digging, is it called? Digging, yeah. yeah. Where he talks about how his relationship with his father, how mm. his father dug the soil and Seamus only uh, dug in with the pen into the paper. Yeah. So that's a beautiful poem if you ever get a chance oh, yeah. to listen to it. I do feel that unlike Heaney, neither you or I have any guilt about it though. No, no, no. <laughs> we no. revel in our lack of DIY ability. <laughs> no, I suppose not. I mean, we've got the Irish shame about many, many, many things, but not yes. that. Uh, it's a little, but I, I, that's a good spin on it, though, because it's an, a little bit interesting mm. than what you say there, that it, normally it's two men competing for a very beautiful woman mm. who just stands there and looks pretty yeah but rather the women in this situation are, are very very active uh and i very much liked the, the little touch of bringing the head of the old woman just meant bringing, bringing the, the mind yeah, of yeah. the old woman into the house yeah. that was a very nice touch uh but no i thought it was a little bit uh i thought it was a little bit patronizing that like <laughs> you have to be able to solve this series of riddles to show that you're intelligent enough <laughs> to be in our family, you know. I was the old equivalent of getting them to do a personality test. Or, <laughs> or they're smart enough to do these riddles. Yeah. There's a lovely version of that as well where... Will she be our people? Yeah. Well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Solve the family riddle. Yeah. We're talking a lot about arranged marriages as well. The dad seems to be, lately, the dad seems to be arranging this marriage yeah. as well for the young son. But that's that's how it used to be. Oh, yeah, it was perfectly, perfectly normal. Because, like, like, marriage, like, not to, like, be anti romance or anything, but marriage was just a contract, it was like mm-hmm. business. Yeah. yeah. Um, Love matches were rare, yeah, yeah. Never yeah. heard of them. And I think we're coming full circle now because, like, in the past, like, the main way you'd, like, get a family together and organize, like, new dynasties and the sharing of land was, was through contracts of marriage. And now we get people arranged, married on TV just for mm. our entertainment and the wonderful yeah. show Married at First Sight. <laughs> and Married in first, at First Sight Australia. Yeah. And, and all these things. I think just... it's bringing arranged marriage back into vogue. We're just in the zeitgeist <laughs> of it. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people. I imagine that it's uh, that it's very appealing to who can't find love in this age of of uh, Tinder. That someone would just pick one of those people for them. Actually, setting tasks for people could be amazing for online dating. Like before you'd agree to meet up with your Tinder date, you must guess the head of an old woman <laughs> next to the fire, and you must go out and sh- sell. The- well, sheepskin won't go with the. Uh, vegan crowd anymore no 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 what could we do and you must sell an apple yeah or an aloe vera plant or something (laughs) avocado we'll say avocado must sell avocado and then you actually sell it you sell the stone the pit of the avocado carved into something pretty i think that that's a challenge that needs to go viral (laughs) yes yes but before we leave you with the with the lovely idea of uh, Tinder setting challenges for people, do it. I, 
I think it is important as well that we uh, recognise that the Govan Ser is uh, is a, a beautiful uh, children's book as well, mm. uh, released in the 1920s or 30s. Um, uh, Ella Young mm. uh, is is the author, beautifully illustrated, of course. Uh, so if you want to read the Govan Ser to your children, you can do uh, you could do worse than than get absolutely uh, yeah. Uh, the Wondersmith in the in the youth of in the youth of the world, Ella Young. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, we're gonna leave it there for today. It was a pleasure to to be here and talk about something I know very little about. <laughs> <laughs> they really couldn't have chosen worse people for DIY, could they? No, 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 no. Very, very much not. Uh, <laughs> Two most academically minded people in the room. Just listeners, you were very good listeners today. Thank you for tuning in. But never, ever ask us to help help you with your IKEA furniture. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Remember, the best way to support us is by liking, subscribing and sharing with a friend.